I'm your host, William Tapley, also known as the Third Eagle of the Apocalypse. Stop, the stop, 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 stop. You cannot make it look like William Tapley is supporting our program. Sorry, folks. Chris Roseborough here, just to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, and financial contributions in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. And no, William Tapley is not our spokesperson. Uh, if you don't already support us financially, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. And when you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute. $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And, of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. All right, on to the program. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. It's Monday, November 7th, 2011. Why do I feel like I'm not ready for today's program? I know. Maybe it's because I'm not. I... Uh. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment. The goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and to help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. There is no shortage of crazy things being said out there, and the the problem is it's just getting worse it's i you know when you think it's just not going to get worse it gets worse you think that that somebody somewhere has a conscience and that they would and that conscience would prevent them from stepping over a particular line of absurdity or spiritual darkness and you know this <laughs> Uh, uh, kind of proving the point that um, our sinful nature, um, it, the primary problem is that we do not love God with all of our heart. And uh, in fact, we're born at war with God as a result of it. Um, one of the ways in which people sin grievously against God is through making stuff up. I mean, it, it's like, you know, it's put put those dreams and visions away. We don't need them. We've got a Bible. Yeah, just you know, it, it, people coming along and and offering you their dreams and visions. Beware! Run! 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 In fact, hang on a second here. You know, I didn't plan on talking about this on today's program, but I got to pull up my Kindle real quick here on my uh, on my iPad. And uh, I don't. I didn't talk about this when he was announced, but. Uh, the final, uh, the final participant in the ER uh, two Elephant Room two was announced, and it's a guy by the name of Wayne Cordero, and uh, he uh, he's the pastor of uh, a church. Called, what is it like? Hope Chapel in uh, Oahu, 
Uh, anyway, uh, he's got a book that I mean, when <laughs> when I heard that they announced Wayne Cadero as the uh, as like the last guy, I I I immediately knew who this guy was. In fact, really really early on, he uh Wayne Cordero, uh, he had a, his church, let's say, he had one of the early um, exhibits in the Museum of Idolatry. <laughs> one of the very, 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 very first. And it was just, it was over the top then. But anyway, Wayne Cordero, uh, this is a guy, <laughs> I am not sure what he has to offer the body of Christ, but uh, he's got a book out there called Dream Releasers. And... Um, <laughs> The uh, the per the people who are very excited about this book, Dream Releasers, include Bill Hybels, Ken Blanchard, and John Maxwell. Yeah, um, I, <laughs> you you couldn't pay me to get uh, Bill Hybels, John Maxwell, and Ken Blanchard to endorse my book. Anyway, um, so uh, let me let just <clears throat> just let me read this from the back cover of Dream Releasers. Here, here's what it reads: Release the dream that God has placed in your heart. In every heart is a divine is a divinely deposited dream, a dream of what can be for God. But most of these dreams never take wing. Gasp, sadness. Oh no, they remain hidden or undiscovered. But in each dream lays the latent power to change the world. This book provides the answer to one of the greatest dilemmas: unrealized potential. It holds the keys to unlocking the greatest treasures in people's hearts, even as Jesus did with the twelve. Dream releaser will change your life. It's, I mean, it's, <clears throat> One of the things I, I've uh, told my children is I said, listen, if you're ever at a Christian bookstore and you're tempted to buy a book, uh, look at the dust jacket and anywhere you see the word God appear, change the word to Jesus and see if it makes any sense based upon what you've been taught about Christ as you've been raised in the church. And as of, and considering the fact that you know we're constantly working through the gospel, so my kids are very well, well educated when it comes to what Jesus taught and did. And so... <clears throat> so let's let's just play this little game with uh, the back cover of uh, Dream Releasers uh, from Wayne Cordero. Who's going to be the ER, to, you know, one, the last guy in the e in the elephant room this year? And you know, it makes me wonder if maybe as uh, the elephant room two approaches, if I shouldn't come up with a set of questions uh, that uh, James McDonald should be asking of some of these guys. But um, <laughs> like the question I would ask Wayne Cordero is, really, could you show me in the Bible where it says that we all have a divinely deposited dream inside of our heart? Because Jesus said that out of the heart comes evil things like, you know, adultery, robbery, you know, things like that. So, yeah, I, I don't recall any of the di divinely deposited dream texts. They're just not coming to mind. But uh, anyway, go going with this idea here. So anywhere, you, when you're reading the back cover of a popular Christian book, Take the word God and replace it with the word Jesus. Now, understand, Christologically speaking, Jesus is uh, God, the Son, second person of the Holy Trinity in human flesh. So he's God in the flesh. And so, uh, you know, you can, God and Jesus are synonyms. And so, any, see, here's the deal a lot of false doctrine gets cloaked in God talk. Um, so the idea here is, is if you want to decloak it, um, take the generic word God out of the equation and plug in the word Jesus and see if it makes sense. So <clears throat> here we go. <clears throat> in every heart is a deposited dream, a Jesus deposited dream, a dream of what you can be for Jesus. 
But most of these dreams never take wing. They remain hidden or undiscovered. But in each dream lays the latent power to change the world. This book provides the answers to one of the greatest dilemmas, unrealized potential. It holds the keys to unlocking the greatest treasures in people's hearts, even as Jesus did with the Twelve. Yeah, see, do any of you are any of you guys familiar with the great passages of the of the divinely or the Jesus deposited dream that sits dormant inside of your heart and that has the latent power to change the world? Yeah, this isn't this isn't the gospel. This is something completely different. This isn't if this isn't biblical theology. This is something completely different. This is. I mean, this is crackpot kind of stuff. I mean, and and the reason why Americans fall for this drivel is because they're they're narcissistic as they as all get out. They they believe the world revolves around them, and so some guy comes along offering to basically bless their narcissism by shrouding it in God talk, they'll reward that person handsomely by buying their books or going to their churches and tithing. Yeah, but uh, yeah, this isn't taught anywhere in scripture. So yeah, again, endorsed by Bill Hybels, Ken Blanchard, and John Maxwell. So just, yeah. So yeah, again, it's like I have the, the, I have like no, um, no use for uh, people who are going to be blowing spiritual smoke at me and, you know, basically trying to make me feel good, you know, the rolling in their own theology and smoking it and sharing. Yeah, no thanks. I've got other things to do. Anyway, so let's talk about what we're going to talk about in today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. Um, Let's see here. Um, Where to begin today? <laughs> oh, man. Ah, do I start with Mark Batterson? Nah, I'll lead up to it. I'll, I, I'm going to have to lead up to it. Okay, so we're going to start off with a couple of news stories today. I, uh, one is from the Christian Post and um, about uh, Christians beginning to experience f- open, open persecution in the public square. Chuck Colson has uh, written a recent op-ed piece that I think is worth passing along uh, because of the uh, content of it, I've got a I've got an op-ed piece written. Uh, well, it's from the Indianapolis Star from this weekend's edition of the Indianapolis Star, talking about um, hopefully how God is going to uh, send somebody to save us from capitalism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's 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 a it's a Greek Orthodox uh, priest uh, from Holy Trinity Greek Orthodox Church in uh, Indianapolis. And um, and he's talking about the uh, the uh, Occupy Wall Street movement, and uh, there's some language in this. This appeared in the Saturday's uh, Faith Forum. There's some language in this that just made me go, well, "What? <laughs> you what? What'd you say? Yeah, you, you got to read it because it, it might give you the heebie-jeebies." Anyways, I'll read it to you. Um, and then I've got a Patricia King update, uh, and, and and this one's entitled. Super strength. So, uh, so Patricia. This, in fact, this is like classic Patricia King kind of teaching here um, that uh, we're going to pass along. And then we're going to uh, change gears and take a look at the upcoming book that's going to be released by Zondervan. Yeah, it's going to be released by Zondervan, written by Mark Batterson. Mark Batterson of the uh, uh, In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day fame. Uh, the uh, the guy who's uh, the author of primal uh the guy who's the author of chase the wild goose uh he's 
He's got a new one, and um, in fact, you've got to hear it to believe it, and I think if I even tried to preview it for you, you may not even believe that what I'm saying is true. But uh, think of it this way. Um, uh, Let me just just ask you a question. Um, Are you prepared in your church's small group study, I mean, if you attend a small group study, are you ready to sit down with the folks in your small group and start discussing um, stories from the uh, from the Hebrew uh, f- uh, Mishnah. Th- that's kind of you know, uh, and and even better, are you, are you prepared to sit down and discuss the theological implications of a story from uh, from one from one particular guy's story that's in the Mishnah, um, who is described by some historians as a Jewish mystic? Are you prepared to? Uh, uh, to engage in a practice that sounds eerily similar to something the occult practices. Well, yeah, stay tuned. Uh, we'll be talking about this later in the hour. So, I mean, so we got, and then, and then, uh, hour number two. I'm going to throw in another vision casting sermon. I've got a, I've got a, a vision casting sermon from a seeker-driven congregation uh, in the outskirts of uh, Atlanta, Georgia. And, um, and I, in fact, what I'm probably going to do this week, um, I'm, I'm debating the second half of this, but, uh, we're going to be listening to this vision casting sermon that was recently preached there. And, uh, and then we're going to circle back around and listen to one of the follow-up sermons, uh, that followed in the wake of that vision casting sermon on community. And, uh, and, you know, cause it, this is the kind of stuff that uh, makes me stand up and go, whoa, 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 what's that? Um, cause there, there's a, there's a new flavor of teaching in the mix and, uh, I'm not particularly thrilled with the flavor of it. Um, so, um, yeah, that, 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 that'll either be tomorrow or later in the week. I've got to make an executive decision. So anyway, we've got lots of ground to cover. And, uh, so make yourself comfortable. Your listener experience is, well, it means everything to me. So I, you know, it's some tips on how to enhance your listener experience. Uh, fuzzy bunny slippers, if you have them, they do enhance your listener experience. Make sure that you're sitting down if you can. Of course, if you you're uh, listening while commuting to work, while doing uh, any kind of any kind of work that requires you to pay attention to the road, heavy heavy machinery, or worse, it requires you to actually be productive. Keep in mind, keep in mind, this program has been known to decrease productivity, and so. And then, of course, the ultimate is is that um, well, this listening to this program also has been known to cause people to become supremely dissatisfied with their churches, especially if their pastor is not giving them the goods. What's the goods? Well, it's not the tithing sermon, but giving in the goods of the gospel, the great news of Christ and Him crucified for our sins. Even you, as a Christian. So, uh, with that, we're going to dive into the program proper. Okay, from the Christian Post, headlines, headline reads, Christian not welcome sign in the public square. This is written by Chuck Colson. Um, okay, Chuck Colson writes, he says, uh, Discussions about the most contentious issues and even not so contentious ones are routinely labeled as debates. For instance, there's the debate over abortion, the debate over so-called same-sex marriage, and even the debate over who should be playing quarterback for the Denver Broncos. Yeah, uh, man, he had to throw in the metal, uh, the football metaphor. It's just like the open, the open salt on an open wound. Got to, 
let you all know that uh, here in Indianapolis, <laughs> the Indianapolis Colts are now O and nine. <laughs> Isn't that just great? <clears throat> the good news is, is that um, well, we're we're like first in the running for uh, you know that first round draft pick for Andrew Luck, but um, another story. But anyway. Um, Colson continues, says, uh, he says, but are these really debates? If by debate you mean a discussion where both sides get a fair chance to make their respective cases, the answer is increasingly no. Uh, Jennifer Lal, a bioethicist, recently learned this the hard way. She was invited to a meeting of fertility specialists in Canada to discuss her documentary entitled Egg exploitation that's egg exploitation about egg donation lol told organizers that while she was happy to debate the issue she would not go simply to be mugged the organizers assured her that they really wanted to hear from her and to engage all sides of the issue well, as you might guess, that's not what happened. As Lal told readers at Breakpoint before she spoke, another presenter began by telling the audience that he was a Darwinist, a secularist, and Jewish. And what does that have to do with the ethics of egg donation? Well, nothing, of course. People can be any or all of these things and still be troubled by the exploitive nature of egg, don egg donation. In fact, the other presenter actually shared some of Lal's concerns. But the announcement had everything to do with what came next, a personal attack on Lal based on her Christian faith. His so-called presentation consisted of slides showing where Lal attended school, who her co-workers were, and her writings for Christian websites. His goal for the audience to know who Lal was, not what she had to say. Her Christian credentials in his estimation disqualified her from even being heard. And how did the audience respond? While one woman told a Canadian newspaper she was ashamed of how Law had been treated, the crowd, for the most part, cheered the verbal mauling that she received. Sadly, Law's experience is much more common than you would expect. As she asks in her Breakpoint.org article, who is allowed in the public square? The answer is not Christians. The directness of this attack and its unvarnished prejudice is intended to silence people like Lal. It's a way of saying, if you disagree with the prevailing orthodoxy, this is what you can expect. Lal, to her credit, refuses to be intimidated. In her words, she resolves not to be silenced, especially at, a, at such a time as this. Sadly, though, her response is increasingly uncommon. What could be called a spiral of silence has taken hold in public discussion of moral issues. People are reluctant to speak out for fear of being treated as law was. The only response is to refuse to be intimidated. Remember two things. First, the Christian view of things like marriage and the sanctity of life is actually the majority view in this country. We're not out of step with public opinion. The other side is. Second, Remember that personal attacks, however painful, should be as uh, seen as admissions of the weakness of the other side's case. That's why, instead of avoiding the debate, we should insist that it actually take place. Instead of remaining silent, we must speak out. So uh, anyway, the reason I pass that along is, well, because um, in the public square, 
there is really mounting true, open hostility to Christians based upon the fact that they're just Christians. Um, This is very similar and akin to uh, the type of bigotry and hatred that we saw really in Europe, uh, you know, when uh, when Jews were marginalized for just being Jewish. Think about it. It's weird that a Jew would be so boisterous and boisterous and so nasty to uh, not give well professional courtesy to somebody who has a differing opinion and basically attacks them publicly and personally simply because of their religion. Hmm. Strange indeed. Okay, now this next article is from the Indianath- uh, in, in, Indianapolis, yeah, can't pronounce it today. The Indianapolis Star. This is from their faith form, which is a, a feature that, it, that shows up every Saturday in the newspaper. And the headline on this one is entitled, Protests Have a Long History in the Cause of Justice. Protests Have a Long History in the Cause of Justice. And when I read this on Saturday morning, I just went, what? Anyway, um, so the here's... um. The uh, the 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 head the basically the the setup for the story the Occupy Wall Street movement which has been much in the news lately continues to uh, a recent trend of boisterous public protest seen early with the Tea Party movement from a faith perspective when is it appropriate to take to the streets and to challenge the government from a faith perspective when is it appropriate to take to the streets and to challenge government. Uh, the uh, Reverend Anasta- Anastasios uh, Gunaris of the Holy Trinity Greek Orthodox Church in Indianapolis gave an answer that made me uh, anyway, here, here's his, his response. <clears throat> Judeo-Christian history has often been a struggle against injustice, with God supporting those striving against oppression. The Hebrews were enslaved by a wealthy pharaonic class and the lord through moses said let my people go this triggered one of the first mass work stoppages and civil rights movements in history weird way of looking at that anyway later in exodus god makes justice for the poor and foreigners a keystone in his laws millennia later commissars and um apartics gorged on the labor of the proletariat God raised up another leader, Pope John Paul II of Poland, who helped inspire an exodus from under the Soviet yoke through mass strikes and demonstrations. The fall of communists brought a cool breeze of economic, religious, and intellectual freedom to millions. Capitalism carried the day and was looked to as the wave of the future. But an ill wind was also blowing we would quickly learn that capitalism is not invulnerable to greed and abuse. Of course it isn't. Anyway, first were the savings and loan crisis and Enron, the pointless Iraq invasion coupled with wholesale tax cuts, hobbled our federal government with insurmountable deficits. Then came Lehman Brothers, bank bailouts, Bernie Madoff, uh, the burst housing bubble, the mortgage crisis, recession, and the euro crisis all contributing to economic inequality not seen since the Roaring Twenties. From 1979 to 2007, the share of after-tax household income belonging to the top 1% of Americans rocketed from 8% to 17%. Many were enslaved under communism, and today millions have become virtual indentured servants to a distorted capitalism. 
The current protests may presage yet another exodus from exploitation, and God may very well raise up another figure to lead his people to freedom. For as he says in Psalm 34, 17, the righteous cry out, the Lord hears him, he delivers them from all of their troubles. Boy, um, <laughs> yeah, that last paragraph is the one that made me go, what? Um, so should we be looking for a, a religious leader that God's going to raise up to save the world from capitalism? Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, if, so, if somebody rises up like that, I might consider, you know, heading for the hills. Um, yeah, um, yeah because in the economic theory department, there's only a couple of options here. You've got um, socialism. Um, you know, which is, uh, you know, that's, that's one option. You've got fascism and capitalism. Those are pretty much your options there. And, um, capitalism requires there to be freedom, not, not unregulated freedom, but freedom that is regulated to, uh, you know, to basically criminalize people who exploit others greedily and in a way that steals things from them where they take their money and they don't get anything valuable in return yeah, we you know that's you, know, you need to fix that, but socialism and fascist economics are just don't seem like good options to me. Um, and because both of them uh, require me to basically abdicate my my individual rights that are guaranteed to me by the Constitution, and those I'm not willing to part with without a fight. And uh, and yeah, and that yeah, you get what I'm saying here. And that that's the kind of thing that um, I would take up arms to defend. Anyway, so yeah, I'm not looking for any religious leaders to pop up and offer us uh, global socialism or global fascism. That just, um, yeah, I wouldn't see either of those as coming from God. Okay, we are up on our first break. If you would like to uh, email me regarding anything that you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask me my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name, my name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Thank you for 
for downloading Rob Bell's Lectio Divina. This is a resource made available by Mars Hill Bible Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Lectio Divina is an ancient spiritual practice from the Christian monastic tradition, and in Lectio Divina we seek to experience the presence of God through reading and listening, prayer, meditation, and contemplation. Lectio Divina can be done as an individual or a group. Are you ready to begin? Yes, I guess I am. All right. Begin by choosing a section of scripture that you would like to read and pray. You can choose the text randomly, or use a liturgical book like the Book of Common Prayer. Try not to set a goal for how much content you will cover. The goal is to listen for and experience God and His presence. Um, I guess I'll go randomly then. Eeny, meeny, miny, moe, catch a scripture by its toe. If it's gospel, let it go. Eeny, meeny, miny, moe. Preparation for Lectio Divina. Next, do what you must to quiet and prepare yourself to hear from God. If you need to find a quiet room or sit in silence for several minutes or sit in a comfy chair, take whatever posture will help you prepare to receive and experience God's presence. Okay, let's see. I've got my comfy chair and... Oh, no. Hold on a second. You out there! Want to experience the presence of God if you're using a jackhammer? Shut up! Definitely sorry about that, ma'am. Yeah, you better be sorry! Next, when you sense that your heart is prepared, begin by slowly reading the passage of scripture that you have selected. Don't move too quickly through any sentence or phrase, and as you read, pay attention to what word or phrase or idea catches your attention. Okay, I don't know when I'm supposed to be ready. There's no sense, no, there's no kind of timer on me. Anyway, um, the passage of scripture. Judas hung him, himself. Judas hung himself. Judas hung himself? Next, begin to meditate on the word, phrase, or idea that captured your attention. Repeat it again and again. Hung himself. Hung himself. Hung himself. What thoughts come to mind as you meditate on this word, phrase, or idea? Suicide? What are you reminded of in your life? Um, an early death? What does it make you hope for? A different passage of scripture? Next, begin to speak to God. Tell God what word, phrase, or idea captured your attention and what came to mind as you meditated upon it. Lord, the phrase was, Judas... Hung himself. It's not a good feeling. How is God using this word, phrase, or idea to bless and transform you? How should I know that? Tell God what you have been thinking and feeling as you've listened and meditated. I'm feeling depressed. Tell God how you hope this word, phrase, or idea will change your heart to be more like his. This is rubbish! A complete waste of my time. I could be out trimming the petunias or burying the cat or something. If I'm going to experience God, I'm going to do it the old-fashioned way. Just open the Bible and read it. Don't be so silly and modern. Everybody knows that you can't experience God that way. Keep more of your money in your pocket. 
Hi, Chris Roseboro here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. All right, we're back. Warning, beware of people advertising new ways to pray. Can't improve on what Jesus said. Eh, just, you know, or what he taught. Need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions, in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. Uh, if you don't already partner with us, uh, please do so. The way you do that is by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And, of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, do that by clicking on the donate button or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith. And then send that to post office box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. You know, here's what it basically boils down to. I know how many of you all are listening. And the number of people who are listening and enjoying the program compared to the number of people who are contributing to make it so that we can continue to pay our bills and uh, and, and things like that, that those well, there's a disparaging and uh, disparity between those two numbers. And uh, so if you're if you're benefiting, growing, and learning as a result of listening to Fighting for the Faith, uh, please uh, help us keep doing what we're doing by financially supporting us. So anyway, all right, I, I'm looking at my time here, there's no way I'm going to be able to get the Patricia King segment in and do this next segment justice. So we're going to, uh, instead, what we're going to do is we're going to focus all of our attention on to the latest thing put out by Mark Batterson. But since we're doing a Mark Batterson update, that requires me to play our Mark Batterson update music. Here we go. That's all in uh, in recognition of uh, Mark Batterson's book. In a 
pit on a snowy day with a lion. Something to that effect. Anyway, yeah, Chase the Lion is uh, one of the things he's very famous for. But uh, Mark Batterson has been, well, kind of silent lately. And the reason why is because he's been working on his latest book. And, um, you know, rather than me telling you about it, maybe I should let um, Mark Batterson tell you about it. Because, well... If, if here's the deal, if I told you that you know that they, that Zondervan was in the process of creating small group curriculum based upon a story from the Jewish Mishnah, you, you might think I was a nut. And uh, worse, if I told you that uh, that the practice being told here isn't found anywhere in Scripture, but actually, for those of you who've come out of like you know the occult or witchcraft or Wicca. Uh, would kind of sound eerily similar to that, you'd think I was a complete crackpot too. But yeah, but then there's this. Put out from the uh, the Zondervan um, YouTube channel, we've got Mark Batterson saying this. Here we go. Now, what you can't see is that Mark Batterson is standing on the roof of a building in Washington, D.C. I think that's his Ebenezer's Coffee House, and he's drawing a circle with a big piece of chalk circling himself in it. Well, a few years ago, I discovered the legend of Honey the Circle Maker. It changed the way that I pray. I started drawing prayer circles around my kids, around the promises in Scripture, around some of the miracles that I was believing God for. Well, I believe that the next four weeks could change your life and change the way that you pray. You're going to learn how to pray in a new way, how to dream big and pray hard and think long. How to dream big, pray hard, and oh boy... You can't just read the Bible. You need to start circling the promises. You can't just read the Bible. You gotta start circling. Uh, by the way, the name of the um, the book is called The Circle Maker. Listen, start praying wisdom around your kids. Start praying power around your problems. Start praying with faith around your dreams. Mm-hmm. Start praying with faith around my dreams. Uh huh. Your job is not to crunch numbers and make sure the will of God adds up. Your job is to draw circles in the sand, and if you draw the circle, God will multiply the miracles in your life. Really, uh, Mark, you got any passages in the Bible that say if I draw circles, God will multiply miracles in my life? Now, see, now this all leads to all kinds of confusion. And the reason why this leads to some confusion is this. is um, So what am I supposed to do now with the sun stand still prayers that uh, that Stephen Furtick has, um, you know, been promoting for you know, the better part, in fact, more than a year now? Um, should I make sure that if I pray a sun stand still prayer that I first draw a circle with chalk before? Because, I mean, it, it, so if I if I draw a circle first and then pray the sun stand still prayer god will, will like will he like triple multiply the miracles back to me praying through is not just about getting the answer that you want from god praying through is about praying even when you don't get the answer that you want mm. our prayers are like time capsules 
You never know how or when or where God's going to answer them, but you can live with the holy anticipation. Right. So, and by the way, they show um, Mark Batterson at the, you know, in this video, he's uh, basically walking a big circle around the Capitol there in Washington, basically in himself being a, a human chalk, if you would, praying a prayer circle around Washington, D.C. I think one of my desires is this, that your small group would turn into a prayer circle, that you would begin to pray for one another. And I just wanted you to know that I'm... Mm -hmm. Yeah, don't most small groups pray for each other? I'm praying for you as well. Why do I need to draw a circle? Not just that you enjoy this series, but that it changes the way you pray. And so God bless you as you begin this series. And I pray that both the DVD and the book will be a blessing to you. Okay, so uh, that, that's uh, the promo video for the DVD small group study of The Circle Maker. Here's the other promo video that's out there on YouTube uh, for Mark Batterson's uh, forthcoming book, soon to be released forthcoming book, The Circle Maker. In the first century BC, there was a drought in Israel that threatened to destroy the generation before Jesus. Well, the province had died off 400 years before, miracles were a distant memory it seemed like god was nowhere to be heard but there was one man named oni who believed that even if god could not be heard that god could still hear them well, the people asked Oni to pray for rain and that's when he drew a circle in the sand dropped to his knees and prayed sovereign lord i swear before your great name that i will not leave this circle until you send rain well that prayer ascended to the heavens Raindrops descended to the earth. It was a prayer that saved a generation. 2,000 years later, God's still looking for circle makers. Really, 2,000 years later, God's looking for circle makers. Here's what I believe. Bold prayers honor God, and God honors bold prayers. So bold prayers honor God. These would be like sun stand still prayers, but now these are circle maker prayers. Uh-huh, right. Um, that is that why Jesus said, when you pray, say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Nothing bold about praying for daily bread, although it's pretty bold. Pray for God to forgive you. Yeah, I, I got to admit that. That's the bold part, but... So what does a prayer circle look like? Well, yeah, a circle is a circle. Well, I'm standing in one right now. I'm on the rooftop of Ebenezer's Coffee House, and 10 years ago, this coffee house was just a prayer. You see, God gave us a dream to turn this old crack house into a coffee house, but it took a lot of prayer circles in between. Today, Ebenezer's is the number one coffee house in the metro D.C. area for one reason and one reason alone. We drew a circle around it, and we prayed that God would bless it. The so you drew a circle around it. Circle Maker is going to inspire and teach readers how to draw prayer circles around those promises, around the dreams that God has given them, and it's based on this true legend 
of Honey the Circle Maker. And my prayer is this, that, that individual readers wouldn't just be inspired to pray in a new way, but imagine those readers forming prayer circles together, dreaming. Imagine, just imagine people, readers forming prayer circles together. Imagine how the world would change if we could just all pray uh, uh, circle prayers. Um, this is like the epitome of like making stuff up. Um, at this, I mean, it makes me wonder, I mean, did, did Batterson run out of uh, Old Testament uh, stories to work from? I mean, you know, cause he, you know, he found that, you know, the story of Ben and I, you know, there, you know, in a, in a pit on a snowy day with a lion. I mean, you know, all of two verses in the Old Testament and he wrote an entire book about it, you know, the light, you know, about chasing lions and, uh, so now we we've got you know by the way this story it's not just quote a legend about Honi the circle maker this is a story that's that's well known in Hebrew circles it's found in the Jewish Mishnah in fact what I thought I would do uh, for your listening pleasure uh, would be to uh, let you hear uh, the story of Honi the circle maker being told at this year's Aleph Kala. Uh, uh, basically, storyteller conference. Uh, this is uh, you know the 14th international Aleph Kala meeting, and uh, there's a gentleman here by the name of Brian Rohr who tells at least part of the story of Honi, the uh, circle maker. And so uh, here we go. Uh, this is a, a, a Jewish storyteller telling us a story. So it was a long time ago, over 2,000 years ago, when there was a man who lived at the edge of the village, whose name was Honi, Hamagel. Honi, the circle. Now there's a lot of stories about Honi, and the one I want to tell you about tonight is the time that he almost got kicked out of the village for the way that he spoke and prayed to the divine. You see, back then, there was a great drought that was going on. A great drought. And everything was dry. The rivers and streams had dried up. The wells had completely dried up. There was no water anywhere. And the people were thirsty. And the animals were thirsty. And even the land herself was thirsty. And the people didn't know what to do. They tried praying. That didn't help. They tried repenting. That didn't help. They tried this. They tried that. But nothing they did seemed to help. And so the elders of the village all got together. And they held counsel. And they started talking amongst themselves. And they decided that it was time to call for Honi and see if Honi could help. And so they sent the messengers to the edge of the village. And the messengers went and they pleaded their case for Honi. And Honi listened, nodding. And after the messengers were done, Honi said, okay, I will help. Here's what I need you to do. Go back to the people and tell them to go out into the fields, get their clay ovens that they use for the Paschal sacrifice. Bring them indoors so they don't melt in the rain. And they did that. And Honi made his way down to the center of the village. And he was in the center of the village, and the people all gathered around. They all gathered. Everyone in the village came out 
and they gathered around. This was their last hope. They didn't know what to do after this. And Honey closed his eyes, and he began to pray and pray and pray, and nothing happened. And the people started getting a little bit anxious, a little bit disappointed. But Honey, Honey, all he did was he took his staff, he stuck it into that dry, dusty earth, and he began to form a circle all the way around him. And some say that he was muttering a secret prayer while he was doing so. So he drew a circle and was muttering a secret prayer while he was doing that. Uh-huh. By the way, this story of Honi is not found in the scripture at all. This is found in the Jewish Mishnah. And after that circle was complete, he said, Hashem, Hashem, I swear by your holy name, by your holy name, that I will not leave this circle until you have mercy on your children and bring some rain. So he um, draws a circle and then begins commanding God. Okay. A light drizzle began to fall from the sky. And the people started dancing and singing. They were ecstatic. This was the first rain they had seen in a long time. But Honey did not leave the circle. Instead, he took his staff, stomped it on the ground, and he said, This is not what I asked for. I do not ask for this little gentle rain that won't fill the wells. No, we need a good, strong rain, an abundant rain. That's what we need. And at that moment, the sky cracked open, and rain began to fall like no rain that people had ever seen in their lives. It was a fierce rain. They say that the drops were as big as a person's head. And the people had to run for cover and hide. So raindrops as big as a head. Yeah, that would hurt. Because it hurt so much. It started destroying things. And Honey took a staff once more, slammed it into the ground, and said, This is not what I asked for. I asked for a loving rain. A compassionate rain. An abundance, peaceful, nourishing rain. And the rain did in fact change. And it began to fall steady. And the circle that Honey was standing in washed away. And the people, the people once again started to dance and sing and say, Honey, 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 Toda Rabbah, Toda Rabbah, thank you so much. Honey, we dub you Honey Hamagel. Honey, the circle maker. Uh, yeah, so they're praising Honey, the circle maker, rather than praising the God who sent the rain. Uh-huh. Yep. Thank you. Well, almost everyone was dancing and celebrating. There was one who was kind of off to the side. He was rubbing his chin. He had a little bit of an unsure look on his face. 
This was the chief of the village. And he called his counselors together and they talked a little bit. And after the people had dispersed, the chief went up to Honi and said, Were you anyone else? Were you not Honi, but anybody else? You would be kicked out of this village. For nobody speaks to Hashem the way you spoke to Hashem. No one demands the way you demanded. You sounded like a child. Demanding of God. Now notice in the telling of the story, um, you know, uh, Honey mutters something while drawing the circle, demands of God that he bring the rain and says he's not going to leave the circle until God makes good on bringing the rain. He doesn't get what he wants, so he demands of God that God give him exactly what he asked for. And on the third try, finally, God apparently gives him the rain, and then everybody praises Honey, Ha Miguel, the circle maker, rather than giving praise to God. Hmm. Yep, there is a big problem with this story here, and maybe that's the reason why it doesn't appear in Scripture. Honey just looked at him with a smile and said, and yet God listened and turned and walked away. Now, uh, now okay, so we're going to we're going to end there. That's the story of him drawing the circle. By the way, there's more stories of uh, Honey. Uh the 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 next part of this is that Honey uh, ends up in a I think a carob uh on a carob farm. There's some carob trees there and uh, runs across a little girl planting a, a carob tree. Now it takes 70 something years for a carob tree to begin to produce its fruit. And he basically says, well, why are you doing that? And she says, well, I'm not doing it for myself because it takes 70 years, but I'm doing this for my grandchildren. And then Honey, after that uh, encounter with this girl and planting the tree, uh, he ends up going to sleep and becomes the, the, um, the first century BC equivalent of, uh, was it Rumpelstiltskin? Um, uh, who uh, he falls asleep for 70 years. And then when he wakes up, nobody knows who he is, and so he doesn't like the fact that nobody knows who he is, and he asks for God to take him up to heaven. And apparently we know where Honey the Circle Maker is buried, so, I mean, that's all interesting stuff. But, huh, hmm. So um, do you think that there's a reason why Christians for the last two millennia have not considered the story of Honey, the circle maker, worthy of being taught as a well, as a model prayer, as a, somebody that needs to be emulated, something, a story that really needs to be dug into and inspire us on how we should pray, but draw a circle and begin to demand things of God. And if He doesn't give you what you want, you make it clear while standing in your circle that is not what I prayed for. You need to give me what I prayed for. Huh. Yeah, um this is um just a, a mess on so many levels. It's it's um it's it's odd to me that uh, Zondervan, you know, one of the flagship Christian book publishers out there is responsible for unleashing this particular book on us. Um you know, and again, I I just asked a simple question. Um 
Do I need to draw a circle with chalk first before I pray a sun stand still prayer? Because um, yeah, I'm I'm you know I'm a little confused at this point as to how to properly pray these bold prayers. Because I mean, maybe that's the reason why when I prayed for the sun to stand still the other day, it didn't because I forgot to draw the circle first. The way Honey taught me how to do it. And those of you who've uh, who are listening who've spent some time in the occult, you're already going, boy, that uh, there's some serious problems here. This sounds very similar to uh, magic prayer circle kind of stuff. And, um, yeah, it does. Now, I'm not saying it's the same thing. I, you understand that's not what I'm saying. But neither practice is biblical. Honey's practice is not found in Scripture. His story is not found in Scripture. For good reason. Because it's all about Honey. Maybe that's the reason why Mark Batterson likes this. Because... Um, Honey got all the glory for making the rain come. God got none of it. And uh, when he draws his prayer circles and prays for something, if it happens, well, he gets the credit for drawing the circle. Could that possibly be the reason why um, he's um, written this book and why I'm sure it's guaranteed to uh, light fire in all the seeker-driven small group studies? And yet... That prayer doesn't sound anything like the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the, uh, the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray begins with hallowing the holy name of God. Hmm. Yeah, it's tough to do that um, when you're drawing circles and taking the credit for when answered prayers occur. All right, we are up on our second break. If you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so on my email address, talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask me and my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. You can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. we got a vision casting sermon we're going to be reviewing here in hour number two today. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Sissioprified religiosity won't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... Hi, Chris Rosebro here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. 
Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Okay, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. Sermon review time. I have opted to review yet another um, vision casting sermon. I'm seeing a lot of these popping up in my uh, sermon library lately from the seeker-driven churches. I, I think I do have the world's largest collection of sermons on the planet, at least in my personal stash. So let's uh, cue up the sermon review music. Here we go. The good, the bad, the ugly, we review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Avalon Church, McDonough, Georgia. The uh, pastor's name is Richie Miller. Sermon is entitled Avalon Vision 2011. Now, one of the reasons I'm... uh, reviewing this is because I want you to hear that uh, vision casting is not the same thing as just strategic planning. It involves the belief that you actually have received a specific vision from God to do church a particular way using particular methods and particular things. With that, you know, I, I don't know where else to go. I mean, because, you know, already we're, we're going to be off track. Here's the reason why. The reason why we're going to be off track is because the Great Commission applies to all churches everywhere, regardless of time, regardless of culture, regardless of language. Uh Uh-huh. Make disciples of all nations. That's what Jesus said. And it is an implicit command uh, that we are to do a particular thing. Uh, That's what the church is to be busy doing, its mission and that mission lasts until Christ's return. Lo, I'm with you always, even until the end of the age. You're going to hear in this vision-casting sermon that, uh, well, they've got a particular direct vision from God um, that, um, well, exempts them from certain things and makes it so they have a unique particular vision and mission from God that's different than what we find in the Great Commission. So you might as well call this the Great Co-Vision I, yeah, I don't know what else to call it, but anyway, let me kill the music. So uh, without any further ado, here is Richie Miller and uh, the uh, sermon recently preached on uh, Avalon Church's 2011 vision. Here we go. There have been times in my life that I have wanted one thing but got another. You ever, you ever been that way? Sometimes you want something that's not good for you. And you get it and you find out this is not really what you wanted after all. Sometimes that happens when we get a car. We get that new car bug and you go and you haven't paid your other one off yet. But you just got to have this new car. This salesman talks you into it. It smells so good. And you you trade in the old car and you know you're going to be upside down on the payment. And you, you get it. And then after a while, after like the first month of making a payment, you're going, uh-oh. I didn't really want this after all. Sometimes you get what you want, but you lose what you have. Sometimes you get what you want, and after you get it, you think, oh, man, this is not what I wanted at all. And then there are times that you get something that you didn't want. 
And you thought, man, if that happens or if I get that, it's going to be terrible. I'm going to hate it. I'm not going to like it. It's, it's going to be the most awful thing ever. And, and I've experienced that. There was a time in my life that I thought there would never be a day that I would ever want to start a church. And that sounds funny from a guy that has been the senior pastor of a church that he started for 10 years, and we have started lots of churches through this church. But the reason for that is, uh, years ago, I, I didn't understand what it, that meant, and because I'd kind of come to this point in my life that I had you know, gotten my education, I'd built this network, and uh, I was looking for stepping up the ladder, you know what I mean? I'd been a youth pastor, then I was a pastor, senior pastor of a church, and, and been in evangelism, spoken all over the world, and man, I was just poised to step in to the sweet deal, you know, with a sweet salary. I'd done all the work. And during the middle of that, it was very interesting, I got something that I didn't want, I thought. You see, I was in evangelism, I was traveling all over the world and having a lot of fun. And God began to do a, something in my spirits. And, and that's kind of a theme that has happened at this church over the last decade. Now, there's the first mention of it. God was doing something in my spirit. Well, what was he doing? Was he engaged in construction? Uh, was he writing something down? Maybe he was drawing circles. You know, I, you know, what exactly was God doing in your spirit? Can you give us some more details? And how do you know this is the case? Just some rumbling. Knew that something was different. Something was getting ready to happen. I was being successful, but I just knew that God. So you had some rumblings going on. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, have you considered taking maybe gas X for the rumblings inside of you? Might go away. God had something different for me. So I started thinking about it and praying about it, even thinking about putting out some resumes to some churches and so, so forth. And I was watching television one night, and I was scrolling through, and I saw Jerry Falwell on television. And I didn't normally watch him because I don't normally watch preachers on TV. But um, I stopped because he had lost a lot of weight. I was like, whoa, Jerry went on a diet. And I stopped and looked, and he was talking about a 40-day fast that he had gone on and was talking about the powerful changes that God had brought into his life and his ministry and the answers to prayer. And it was just, it wasn't an audible voice, but God spoke to me at that moment. I'd happened that I'd had that happen one. So it wasn't audible, but God spoke to you. How do you know it was God speaking to you and it wasn't the devil? How do you know? I mean, you know, here, you I mean, just make it sound like hmm, there was God was speaking to me. It wasn't audible. As, as if somehow all you have to do is say it wasn't audible and that proves, ta-da, that means that it was God speaking. How do you know it wasn't an angel of Satan posing as an angel of light? How do you know? One other time during a fast I had, when I was a senior pastor of a church, I had that same moving of the spirit of my life. Now, this happened while you were having a fast. Are you sure that it wasn't just low blood sugar that you were experiencing rather than the voice of God? I went on a 20-day fast, and I flew to New York and went to see Jim Cimbala up at the Brooklyn Tabernacle. Some of you probably heard of that church or heard the songs before, and I got to meet with him, and they brought me in front of the church and prayed for me on their famous uh, prayer meetings on Tuesday night. It was really amazing. And God just spoke to my heart. There was a gentleman there that was on staff, and 
he had stopped me. He was walking past me. He stopped and he turned just like God had whispered something to him. That's kind of weird because I grew up Baptist and I wasn't used to that kind of, you know, we, God doesn't speak to us if you're Baptist. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and so anyway, this guy, he turned around. He said, I sense the Holy Spirit telling me that you're struggling with something. I thought, oh my God, don't let him know let any more of my secrets out. Okay. And I'm like, yes, sir, I am. And he looked at me. He said, I think that you need to go home and do this? The answer is yes. He had no idea that I was struggling about resigning the church that I was a pastor of because I felt God was calling me into evangelism. Two things I said I would never do, start a church and go into evangelism. And those are the two things that I thought if I got that I wouldn't be very good at and it would be terrible if I got them. But sometimes you get what you don't want and it's the best thing that ever happens to you. Well, I was watching Jerry Falwell, went on a, it's like God spoke to me about going on a 40-day fast. I picked up the phone, my cell phone, to call my best friend, and his name is Gene. He is actually on the board of this church. He's one of our elders uh, here at Avalon Church, and uh, I said, Gene, you will not believe what God just led me to do, what God just spoke to me about. He said, oh, yes, I would. He said, because I was watching Jerry Falwell too, and God just told me that you and I both need to go on a 40-day fast together. And I, once again, I was just not used to that kind of stuff because I wasn't really sure that God actually did speak uh, to people that, to me, that God actually spoke to. I thought maybe they ate too much pizza and Pepsi before they went to bed and, you know, stuff like that. Well, during that fast, it became very evident that God wanted us to start a church in Henry County. That's kind of counterintuitive. Kim and I actually were praying about going to New York City, to Manhattan, to start a church. That's the place that needs a church, we feel like. And yet, as we began to study, we found out that 86% at the time, 86% of the people that lived in Henry County did not go to church anywhere. And that's not hard to believe if you look in your driveways in your neighborhood on your way to church on Sunday morning. You know that most people where you live don't go to church. They just simply don't. They may say they do. They may say they went as a little kid, but they don't now. Well, the long story short is we really began to believe that God had called us to this area. And, and, and you have to understand something, that I, I just believe that God wants to do something extraordinary through his church. And I believe that... I just believe, I just believe that God wants to do something extraordinary through his church. I just believe, I just believe. Um, yeah, pastor, your job is to preach the word. Um, you're not supposed to just believe something, especially something that just burbled up from inside of you. I just believe. Yeah, that's great. Um, you know, uh, you know, why don't you just believe that some other time and you can instead, you know, open up the Bible and start preaching it, which is what you're supposed to do to be doing. You know, instead, notice that he's you know what this pastor's doing at this point. What he's doing is preaching his own experiences and apparently these voices, inaudible voices that he's hearing, and that he's blaming on God. He's preaching this as that is the basis of the word of God that he's supposed to be preaching and teaching from today. Weird, isn't it? That God, he's not content with just just a little bit happening. He he. How do you know? where Where can we find out for sure? about God's contentment or discontentment with what's happening in the church one way or the other. Hmm? 
He is the creator of the universe. He is the one that made the billions of galaxies. He's the one that discovered and invented and created photosynthesis. And Oh, yeah, this is true, but that, is, that doesn't answer the question. How do you know God's level of contentment or discontentment with what's happening in the church today? And he, he created everything that is, and he is such an amazing, magnificent God. And, and I, I just am convinced that when it comes to, to life change, that he's not interested in just a little bit. He, when it comes to life change, he's, just, he's not interested in just a little bit of life change. Yeah, there's a whole lot of life change going on. I mean, a lot of people going from breathing to non-breathing. They're going from uh, having an internal temperature of 98.6 to having, you know, to assuming room temperature. There's a whole lot of life change going on out there. People are dying everywhere. Is that what you're talking about? What do you, where do I find uh, this this great contentment or discontentment in the uh, the level of life change? What exactly are you talking about? He's not interested in just average. In fact, how do you how are you defining average? He gave his only son, the second person of the Trinity, to make sure that we could go to heaven. God's not in. Yes, he did. I'm not sure what the gospel has to do with any of what you're talking about, though. And to just having a little bit of your life. Well, I knew that God wanted to do something big, and I, and I felt it. And yet, what do you do? Mm, so you knew God wanted to do something big because you felt it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's um, it's pretty. I mean, that's pretty big there, don't you think? Now, here's the deal. I mean, think about it for a second, okay? Let's say that you had a feeling, a a feeling of foreboding, okay? Um, let's let's say that you felt that your aunt Mildred was in dire danger, okay? But it was just a feeling. I mean, are you going to call up Aunt Mildred and say, Mildred, I got this feeling of foreboding. You're in dire danger. And have her say, what are you talking about? I, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here inside of my house enjoying a cup of coffee. I am not, I have no plans to leave the home any time in the near future. And, uh, you know, I, I, what do you mean I'm in danger? You, you understand what I'm saying? I mean, so here's the deal. I mean, when you have a feeling, do you call people up and just automatically tell them all of your feelings? Or do you check first? I mean, you, you think, oh, maybe that's silly or whatever. I mean, you know, sometimes we act on feelings and sometimes we don't. I mean, mature people have learned over the years that, yeah, feelings kind of come and go. So you need something a little bit more substantial to hang your hat on. And so at this point... You're just basically saying you have a feeling about God, and as a result of it, that warrants you preaching your feeling about God above and beyond or over and above what God has revealed clearly in his word. Doesn't make any sense whatsoever, considering the fact that we have a clear and unambiguous command given by God to pastors that their job is to preach the word 
in season and out of season, to reprove, rebuke, exhort. For a time will come when people will not endure sound doctrine, but will gather around themselves teachers who will tell them what their itching ears want to hear. So here we've got a clear objective word from God in the Bible that says your job is to do this, and you're not doing that because a feeling has trumped that? Um, yeah, at this point, using the biblical test for feelings, nothing more than feelings. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm seriously doubting that this feeling has its origin really in God. When you have no money, no members, no place to meet, no chairs, no projectors, no microphones, Nothing. But you say God wants you to start a church. How do you do that? Well, you have to depend on God. And, and you have to have one thing for sure, and that is even though you may not have much money and even though you may not have any members and you may not have a, a building yet and you may not have any kind of equipment yet and you haven't even advertised yet and you don't even have a name for the church yet, but you've got one thing. You've got a vision. And you've got this vision that God, the God of the universe, the one that, that created everything, the one that created hands. You ever wondered how, how... Okay, yeah, I understand God created hands. Got that. You know, yes, it's clear that God made human beings. But again, just because you're making a reference to the creation does not prove that this vision that you claim that you've received actually comes from God. Hmm. How he thought of that, that's because he's God. It's just amazing to look at a hand. The one that created an eye. How, how is that? How is that possible that we can see? How can we hear stuff? God is amazing. This very God that I... Yeah, he truly is. Yes, God is amazing. But again, you're not answering the question. How is it that we know that this, quote, vision that you claim that you've received via a feeling um, is actually from God? Hmm? I knew from the bottom of my heart was really into life change. I sensed that he had given me and Kim a vision of a place. Did did, did you have a, more, a Mormon burning in your bosom? I mean, come on. How do you know this was from God? Not that we necessarily need more of the same kinds of churches in our area. And don't misunderstand what I'm saying when I say that. I'm not talking about traditional versus non-traditional. I thank God for traditional churches. I was saved in a traditional church. My parents were saved in a traditional church. I so we need a different kind of church than a traditional church, and you had a feeling from God that you claim is a vision for you going in this direction. Mm -hmm. I used to pastor a traditional church. The, the style of music is irrelevant in my opinion. It is about the mission of God. And, and, you know, if you choose, if God gives you that vision to follow a specific pattern, a specific way, you need to follow that. And, mm, and how would I know that it's God giving me a specific vision to follow a specific pattern? Because all of this is just based upon this. Nothing more than feeling Trying to forget my Feelings of love 
teardrops. I mean, when you when you want a vision from God and you got the feeling, do you get this while you're on a spirit walk? Trying to forget my feelings of love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Feelings for my life, I'll feel it. I wish I'd never met. Man, I need to don a polyester suit and head down to a lounge somewhere. You'll never come again. I mean, can't you just see me in a polyester suit and, uh, you know, like a diamond-studded eye patch for the pirate theme, you know? Singing feelings. Again in my arms. All right, done. Okay, so uh, we're going to continue with the sermon here. At this point, I'm more than just a smidge frustrated because... Now he's claiming that he's gonna, he's received a specific vision from God to follow a particular pattern. And, of course, if you get one of these two, then you got to go for it. And the whole thing hinges on feelings. You've got the, some kind of uh, non-intelligible, non-audible voice somehow nudging you in this direction to do this. And, and contrary to what God's Word says about what the clear mission and vision is uh, that Jesus has given for the church, somehow these new guys coming uh, up... They can just dump how church has been done for 2,000 years because they've had a feeling. Uh-huh. And then don't throw rocks at those that like choir music, okay? Because that's not what this is about. It's not choir versus band, okay? This is, it, it is good versus evil. It's saved versus lost. No, it's, it's the difference of what's objectively verifiable in the Scripture versus what you think you've got had from God via a feeling. I mean, I mean... The Mormons claim that they know that the Book of Mormon is true because they've had a burning in their bosom. Would you affirm that that's the case then, Pastor? It is light versus dark, okay? It is not contemporary versus Southern Gospel, all right? Well, when you have that, you know that God gives you this vision that he wants to do something. So by doing something different, what I mean by that is a church that is obsessed with life change, a church that sees as its mission to go into all the world and, and fulfill the good news, to fulfill... Mm, well, there's a problem. <laughs> yeah, so here's the deal. Your feelings are leading you astray. And uh, the reason I say that is because it's not our job to fulfill the gospel. The gospel has been fulfilled by Jesus Christ. We are to proclaim the gospel. Let me back this up a little bit. Here we go. It's obsessed with life change. A church that sees as its mission to go into all the world and, and fulfill the good news, to fulfill the, the gospel mission that... Mm-hmm. Yeah, fulfill the good news, uh-huh. Yeah, the good news has already been fulfilled by Jesus long ago. Um, you know, in fact, the summary of it is found rather neatly in the Nicene Creed. Um, you know, Jesus Christ, you know, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate of the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary 
and was made man, was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate, suffered and was buried on the third day. He rose again from the dead, according to the scriptures. All of that, that's the good news. That's what we're called to proclaim and announce. Jesus fulfilled it all already. Our job is to go and announce the good news that's been fulfilled by Jesus. Hmm. I think your feelings are leading you astray, Richie. That, that calling that God has put on our lives as Christians and particularly upon the churches that he starts, that he is over, that he wants these churches to be obsessed with, not themselves and not programming, but reaching the lost. So this is a vision. So uh, you have a vision about churches that are not obsessed with themselves. Read into that. Don't come here expecting deep Bible study. No, 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 because that would be obsessing about yourself. But reaching the lost in in a very relevant and engaging, cool kind of way. Uh Uh-huh. That we had. Bonnie and Neil Gardner, they're sitting right here on the front. Bonnie and Neil, would you guys stand just for a second? Uh, There are... They're our original couple that's left. Thank you, guys. That was a part of this vision. There were nine, uh, nine couples, nine of us, and they remember meeting over down at Randy Shelley's house and then over at Wendy Hill Park, and then we moved over to uh, the Henry County Performing Arts Center. How many were there at the Henry County Performing Arts Center when we there? Just a few of you, okay, a few of you there, there, all right. How many were over after we got kicked out of there at the Henry County High School? Anybody? All right, went to the armpit of the county, you know. I say armpit because I don't want to say another bodily part that I actually think of, you know, when I think of that school. But anyway, nevertheless, it was a terrible building to be in. Uh, Nice people, but terrible facility. Then we got kicked out of there, thank God, and moved to Wendy, um, um, Wesley Lakes Elementary School. How many were at Wesley Lakes Elementary? All right. Then we moved on to our next location. This is all within two years, okay? Uh, we moved to our next location, which was the building that we purchased on Racetrack Road. How many were at Racetrack Road? All right, a lot of you were there. And then you know the story from there. Well, we had this vision that we believed that God wanted us to do something that was actually going to be biblical. We wanted, we had a vision that we would have a church that would look a little bit like heaven. In other words, it wasn't, it wasn't just focused on a, a certain group of people that was racially diverse. It looked like heaven was going to look like. It wasn't focused on denominationalism, and I'm not necessarily against denominations. They stand for some specific doctrinal beliefs, and the way that they define themselves, they, I guess, have to have a denomination to do that. But- yeah, in other words, uh, sound doctrine doesn't matter. You can just believe whatever you want. Okay, yeah, that sounds like a vision from God. But I, I really felt like that the way we should define ourselves is not by what a denomination says, but what, by what the Bible says. That's actually- mm-hmm. And so all the denominations out there, not one of them has a real biblical argument for why they believe what they believe. That's ridiculous. Actually, a better way, I think. Uh, actually, I think God may be pleased with that. So we, um, that's what we just said we wanted to be defined by. We wanted to reach those. We wanted to reach across racial lines. We wanted to reach across denominational lines. We wanted to reach across uh, social lines. We didn't want this to be a place just for, you know, upper middle class white people, you know. And we didn't want this. This is not what we were. And we said that one thing that we want to be known for is a church that that reaches those that don't go to church. And some 10 years later, God has 
really answered our prayer, at least begun to answer our prayer. We dreamed of a day when there would be thousands of people that would belong to our church and thousands of people that would go to our church, and God has answered that prayer. We dreamed of a day when we would see lots and lots of people baptized. In the last decade, we've baptized around 1,300 people uh, in the first 10 years of this church. It's amazing what God has done here. We began to believe that God would allow us to plant other churches. In other words, we wouldn't just stop with us, but we believe that that the mission was that we go beyond ourselves, beyond our walls. And to this point, I want you to get this. We have been a part of planting and supporting church plants, 18 churches that we've helped to start out of Avalon Church in just 10 years. Isn't that amazing? Churches in Georgia, Alabama, North Carolina, California, Michigan, Nevada, South Africa, Nicaragua, Cuba. And I'll tell you about an opportunity that we're going to go into Europe here toward the end of my talk. God's done something here. We began to pray that 10 years ago, believe that God was going to do something. And guess what? He did. He did. But, you know, I'm honest. I, I, I just simply don't believe that God's finished with this place yet. I really don't believe, like Matt said this morning, I believe that I... Well, at this point, since all you're doing is preaching about your feelings, it doesn't sound like God's had anything to do with your church. I mean, isn't your job to preach the word? Why aren't you doing that right now? Our best days are in front of us, not behind us. We're not going to live in the past. We are going to do, I believe, what is the pattern, the model in the Bible, what Paul said. He said, I'm forgetting those things that are behind, and I'm pressing toward the mark, that prize that we find in Jesus Christ. We're looking to the future. We're looking to the vision. We're looking for the things that God is going to do in this. Mm, You're looking to the vision. How about to the scriptures alone? Aren't they sufficient? Place And through this place. And so that's what this night is about. What is the next decade of our church going to be like? Well, let me just encourage you tonight that as a church, we're going to continue to be obsessed with life change. We're going to continue to be obsessed with seeing... So rather than being obsessed with Jesus Christ and him crucified for our sins, that's what Paul said to the Corinthians. I chose to know nothing among you except for Christ and him crucified for us. So rather than being obsessed with the gospel... And with Jesus Christ, you're going to be obsessed with life change. Hmm. It sounds like the emphasis is on the wrong syllable to me. Seeing people saved and baptized. But not just that. We don't want to just see people saved. It's always hilarious to me, people that maybe they don't understand how to frame their argument. But they think that a church like ours is not interested in making disciples. That's actually not possible. Okay, if we're obsessed with seeing people become followers of Jesus Christ, we must be obsessed with making disciples. I think sometimes what people mean by that is maybe we don't employ a certain teaching style and that's how they frame their argument. You mean like in-depth expository preaching from the Bible so that people can actually not be biblically illiterate? Oh, yeah. Uh Uh-huh. And and even that is a very, very weak argument because oftentimes people think that You are deep in the scriptures just because the pastor uses language that you don't understand. Uh, No, you're deep in the scriptures because the pastor's actually taking the time to preach, you know, the whole counsel of the word of God. How's that? You do that? And he refers to, well, it says in the Greek, this. And, you know, I'll, I'll tell you how every one of you can become an expert on what the Greek says. This is very simple, okay? 
And I really am sincere about this. If you want to become an expert on what the original Greek or Aramaic or Hebrew, the languages that the, the Old Testament and the New Testament were written in, if you want to know what they mean, the world's best translators have translated into English. And you can pick up an English translation of the Bible and know what it means, okay? It's really pretty simple. Isn't that amazing? If you want to know uh, what John 3.16 in the original Greek means, here's what it means. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him. Do you know Greek? Because anybody who really knows Greek wouldn't be arguing the way you're arguing. I've happened to know Greek. I've known, I've well, I learned Greek 20 years ago, more than 20 years ago. Um, good night. It's, it's going on a quarter of a century that I've known Greek. And, um, I can tell you as somebody who knows Greek, um, works in it regularly, um, that, um, the, uh, there's a big difference between, uh, the depth and meaning and nuance of, a, of the Greek text than, in any, uh, English translation. In fact, I find myself regularly correcting e- even good English translations, um, and being somewhat frustrated with uh, the, the, the limitations of the language itself, uh, of 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 you know this the translational process. I mean, here's he, here's a metaphor that I think y'all can hang on to, and one that I'll use just because I like putting myself in pain regarding football. But here's the idea, okay? Reading an English translation is like watching a football game on a regular analog television. Yes, you can watch the football game. Yes, you will know exactly what happened in during the game. You will know who scored what. You'll be able to follow the drama as it unfolds in the game and you will understand yes, you will understand everything. Okay? That's what it's like reading an English translation. It's like watching a football game on an analog television set. Reading Greek is not actually equivalent to um, watching it on HD. Okay, it's even better than that. Being able to read the biblical text in the Greek is like being at the stadium on the 50-yard line about 20 rows back. That's the difference. And if you've been to a football game, then you know that 20 rows back on the 50-yard line, you're able to take in everything, not just what a tight angle on a, on a, on a television camera is able to capture. You're able to see much more of the play and really experience the game on a completely different level. Okay, both both ways you'll understand how the game unfolded, you'll understand who did what, you'll understand who scored, you know, in the whole thing. You'll experience it. But the two experiences are very are very different. And really if a pastor is going to be preaching and teaching the full counsel of the word of God, he needs to be in the biblical text in the original languages. Because those nuances make or break a sermon. If you don't understand it and you wrongly handle the text, you're going to you're going to mess things up and you're going to put arsenic into your sermon as opposed to uh um good things and quite unintentionally too 
would not perish, but have eternal life. You're a Greek expert. You know what it means now. All right. So good news. That's good news. Well, my, my point is this. We are going to be obsessed with life change. We are going to be obsessed with making disciples. We are going to be obsessed with our mantra, which is the biblical mission that God has given us. We are going to continue to reach those who are not here yet. By that, we're talking about the lost. By that, we're talking about even Christians that are not connected to the mission that God has for their life. Christians who are, maybe they're, they're searching for a church or a place where they can live out their mission, where they can use their spiritual gift, where their children can get to know about Jesus Christ, where their life may Makes a difference where their money makes a difference. We're going to be that place. We're going to reach those who are not here yet in order to reach those who have not heard yet. That's our mission. That's our vision. That's what we're going to continue to do. We'll never stop doing that. And, and as long as God gives me the ability to be of sound mind and the ability to lead this church, that's going to be our mission. I give you my word that if you'll continue to bring lost people to this church, I'll continue to preach the gospel. If you'll continue to bring and invite people, which that is your part in this agreement, we're going to continue to see people come to know Jesus Christ. We're going to continue to see lives change. We're going to continue to see marriages made whole again. We're going to continue to see people that were broken by addiction and even by disease or even by someone else's sin that were abused and hurt and crushed in their past. They are going to have hope because... What about the people who did the crushing? Why are you focusing on the victims rather than the perps? Because here's the deal. It's the sinners that need their sin forgiven. They're the ones who need hope and the forgiveness of sins. I, saw, I thought you said you were going to preach the gospel. Why, have, why is it that all of a sudden the uh, gospel is being turned into something about giving hope to people who are victims as opposed to hearing the proclamation of the forgiveness of sins won by Christ for those who've perpetrated the crimes? Hmm? There is hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that is where our hope comes from. That is where it comes from. But a vision is only as good as the people behind that vision. I said this last night at the South Campus. You know, people often ask me how it is that Avalon Church has grown as quickly as it has. I mean, in the, in the South Metro area of Atlanta in the last decade, it's been the fastest growing church, even mostly in the, in the state of Georgia. And, and as far as a church plant, it has been, it surpassed so many. And why is that? And, it, you know, it's not because of me. It's because of you. Because you've grasped the vision. It's not because of, you know, me sprinkling magical pixie dust on people. That has nothing to do with it, okay? If I had some of that, trust me, I would use it. But I don't. But you've bought the vision. You have stepped in and said, this is God's mission, God's will. This is what we're going to do. We're going to follow and we're going to lead and we're going to be a part of this. So the reason that God has blessed this place so much, yes, because of his sovereignty and yes, because of his goodness and yes, because of his blessings, but it's because of you. And in order for us to fulfill our mission, reaching those who are not here yet so that we can reach those who have not heard yet, we must be on the same page with the vision and the mission. 
So he's got the reason why he's vision casting right now. This is what this is called. He's casting the vision is so that people will understand what their unique vision is so that they will get behind it and make it happen. Now, remember, in this model, okay, in this leadership model or Führership model, yeah, I understand that's a provocative term, but he's being a leader here, not a pastor, okay? And that's what the word means. Führer means leader. It's his job to cast the vision. It's he, he has the authority to cast it. It's the responsibility of the people down at the bottom of the organization. It's their responsibility to make that vision come to pass. That's how this model works. It's not a biblical model. It's important that I say this, that if you're going to support the vision of our church, you've got to buy into the philosophy of our church. I want you to understand that our whole philosophy about lights and music style and all. So you have to buy into their philosophy. Hmm. Apparently they've got their own philosophy now too. Weird. Isn't it weird that that apparently they've opted out of the biblical philosophy and they've they've got their own philosophy and it's the job of the people there in that in their community to buy into their specific unique philosophy and their specific and unique vision neither of which can be found in the bible all this kind of stuff it is not an accidental thing we get criticized i mean you probably know that in fact i Somebody posted on one of the Facebook pages uh, today uh, a very entertaining uh, critique of me about, uh, you know, if the guy was able to make a lucid and logical argument, it would have been much more effective, in my opinion. If he had a simple grasp of theology, I might have listened. But the greatest thing that he had in his post was the inability to spell. All right. And so that, you know, it is what it is. But let, let me just tell you how to respond to that. Don't. Don't. If you think that a church that is going to do something for God is not going to be criticized, you're wrong. And and if you think that the mark of God's blessing is not being criticized, you're wrong. Because if you're not being criticized, it means you're not doing anything. Maybe the reason why you're being criticized is because what you're doing isn't biblical. Maybe you need to listen to the substance of the critique and weigh it out based upon whether or not somebody's giving you a substantive criticism. Here's the deal, okay? Everybody at one time or another, well, experiences criticism. Sometimes it's justified, sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's beneficial and it's from somebody who's trying to correct you biblically, and other times it's from somebody just because they're a ne'er-do-well. But you have to listen to the substance of the critique before you can evaluate that. You don't just carte blanche, just, just say, hey, all criticism coming in, you just need to ignore it. That, that's, that's foolish. That's basically saying you ain't got no godly critics. And that's, well, that's to cut yourself off from people who may have a substantive and valid criticism. Okay. And it just comes with the territory. So I don't get worried when we get criticized. I get worried when we don't get criticized. Okay? My dad used to say this. The only thing they'll criticize you for is success and failure. All right? And everything else will be fine. All right? So don't worry about that. You don't respond to that. There will be critics. There will be people that say, you know, that we are something different than we are. But it's only people that have never been here and don't understand what the Bible teaches. 
And uh, so that's okay. So don't, don't waste even an ounce of energy responding to that because it's, it's pointless. You're not going to convince them anyway. It's like trying to... Here, the Bible. Here's the Bible answer to that. Answer not a fool in his folly. Okay? Answer not a fool in his folly. And so my point is this. What is our vision for the next decade? What do we believe God wants us to do? Take your booklet and turn to the center page. I want to just point out a couple of things. Down at the bottom left hand, what is our vision? It's not take out your Bible. It's take out your booklet. We've, we've written some cogent vision things down in this booklet. Okay. Vision. God has given Avalon Church an audacious vision. I believe that in the next 25 years, God wants our church to help start 1,000 churches around the world. Now think about this. If every church reaches 100 people with the gospel, this means that we can see as a church, we will directly influence 1 million souls coming to Christ in the next 25 years. Anybody here think that's a good goal? Anybody here think that's something worth giving to? No, I don't think it's a good goal considering the fact that you think that your verbal visions and feelings are the equivalent to the Word of God. That's, that's pretty dangerous. I do. I do. And, and let me just tell you, there are some things at work that in the next 25 years are going to blow your mind. Not about the awesomeness of Richie, not about the awesomeness of Avalon Church, but about the amazing awesomeness of God. And it is going to blow your mind what he does in this place. Here are some of the goals that I believe God's going to allow us to accomplish in the next decade. We're going to add five more campuses in the state of Georgia, five more. We have the, the South Campus, and it's been such a blessing, and I'm so thankful for that. We're learning a lot of things about that. I believe over the next decade we will start five more campuses. As a result of that, I believe that our goal should be that we're going to grow to an average attendance of around 6,000 per week across all, at that point, seven campuses. And I believe that not is this a doable thing. I believe we will reach that. It, just by our history, okay? Do you know that in the last 10 years, we have, we have doubled three different times in our attendance? If we're going to reach this goal, it's basically just doubling two more times, all right? That's doable, all right? And we believe God is going to do that. Uh, we are going to start regional church planting centers in Africa, Europe, Central and South America. We've already got the, the relationships to do this. We're already in talks with two of those places, actually all three of these places already about this happening. This is going to happen. We're going to be able to be a part of planting churches all over the world. Uh, we're going to build another children's village in South Africa. I'm already talking with another humanitarian uh, organization that we are going to partner with. We are actually in the next year going to be able to be a part of a new uh, children's village opening up, not just in South Africa, but in other places as well, all right? It's, God is already putting this stuff together. It's very, very exciting. We're going to start 10 new churches in the United States, at least 10 new churches uh, in the United States. We're going to start 100 churches across the globe in the next decade. We want to see Avalon Hope grow to 10,000, I'm sorry, $10 million per year budget. Will you be planning a church on the moon? That's what I would like to know. When do you go intergalactic? outside of our church, and we're going to plant churches across the world with that. We're going to train a 1,000 pastors across the U.S. and across the globe. And honestly, some of the things that are starting to happen that we believe is going to happen and God's going to come through on this, these things will be small potatoes as to what God's going to do. That's the things that we want to see happen over the next decade. So here's the question. How are we going to do that? 
How are we going to do that? Look over on the next page. Obviously, the, the normal stuff, we're going to preach the gospel. We're staying true to the scripture. Okay, in spite of what some people say, we actually do believe the Bible around here. Okay, in spite of what some people think. Yeah, I'm sure you believe the Bible, but it's the Bible and. It's the Bible and your personal visions and feelings. It's not the Bible alone. We actually try to live by what the Bible says and not what some other tradition may say. If I have to choose between the words of God and the words of man, I'm going to choose the words of God. All right? Yeah, but you, you equate the word of God with your own personal feelings and visions. Right? That's probably a much better choice. All right? So we're going to preach the gospel. We're going to stay relevant. By that, I mean that but relevant, that's a funny word sometimes. Some people don't even know what that means. Uh, that's kind of a buzzword, at least it was a few years ago, uh, in church world, okay? Got to be relevant. What does that mean? Well, by being relevant, just simply put, is this. We're going to leave the message the same. That is always going to be the same. Our methods are going to change. In fact, I'd like to know what you think the message is because, I mean, the one time you kind of mentioned the gospel, you said we had to fulfill it, so... I'm beginning to wonder if you even really know what the gospel is. The decade from now, we'll probably be doing a lot of things differently than we're doing now in order to stay relevant, okay? Um, it means that we'll remain fluid, living in a culture that ch constantly changes. We must keep the message the same, but the methods will change. We will remember our mission, which is to stay focused and lean. Why do we not have 100 ministries at this church? It's not because that... Hundreds of ministries aren't viable or good. They are. That's not what God has called us to do, though. Our job is to fulfill the mission that God has given us, to fulfill that great commission. We want to reach those who are not here yet so that we can reach those who have not heard yet. It's very simple. And we're going to leave it simple in order for us to be able to do it well. Okay? Um, and we're going to empower our members. So here's the question. What do we need to see this begin to happen? What do we need for our church here to grow? What do we need? Well, obviously, we've got to have the, the Holy Spirit and, and so on and so forth. I understand that. That's the foundation. We've got to have the Word of God, the Holy Spirit, and so forth. But you know what we need? Mostly, we need you. We need you. Uh, it, it, you know, once again, acknowledging that the Holy Spirit is in charge, that God has given the growth, that God is the one that is blessed. But what is the common denominator among churches that fulfill the vision that God gives them? Is they got people like you that buy into it and say, yes, this is what we're going to do. And so you are the key to this. And how can you be the key? How can you fulfill your part? Just a few things. Turn over on the next page. Identifying with Avalon and covenant membership. You've heard us talk about this. If you are not a covenant member. Yeah. Covenant membership? That's contractual. Huh. Yet. And you'll notice I use the word yet. Because I believe that there are a lot of people that should be in covenant that are not yet. You need to. You need to. Not just so that we can do what we've got on this paper. That's really irrelevant in the long uh, run in, in the in the big picture. What's really relevant is your obedience to God. That's what really matters. And, and if you're going to be an obedient Christian, you must be a part of a local church. So you need to be obedient by being part of a local church. You need to be obedient by being a covenant member. You need to be obedient by getting behind the vision. Hmm.
Now, I can, you want to argue if you want, but you're wrong. If you think that you can, and look, I am extremely confident that I would win this theological argument, okay? Not because that I've got a good argument, but because it's what the Bible teaches. If you want to be a good Christian, if you want to fulfill your mission to evangelize, to use your spiritual gifts, to be able to give, and to be able to do all these things, you can't do it by yourself. You've got to be a part of a local church, all right? Christ died for what? The church gave himself for it. So it's very important. So you need to be identifying with this place in covenant membership. We talk about being saved and baptized. We talk about invest, involve, invite. And and so this is how you can be a part of it. Second step, you get involved. As I said this morning, one of the great ways for you to find friends, just get involved in a ministry. Get involved in a small group. Take a step across the room. You'll be amazed at how it changes your life for the positive not for the negative. Uh, number three on the next page, you can invest at Avalon Church. You know what we need you to do? We need you to be faithful in giving. We need to be, you to be faithful in serving and being in small groups. You do awesome at that. We need you to be faithful in giving. We cannot fulfill this mission if people do not obey the Scriptures in giving. Once again, you get far more benefit from giving than we do, okay? It's not about us trying to, you know, build our own kingdom, okay? This is about the fact that when you obey, God blesses you. When you give, you've heard the adage, you can't outgive God. I believe it. When you obey, this is all law. This isn't gospel. Hmm. It's true. I really, really do believe it's true. And you can invest in this place, in the vision of this church, knowing that, you know, we have eyes that look, you know, there's no single person that controls the money here. We have a pastoral advisory team that uh, we meet with every, every month. In fact, let, let me, I want to introduce these guys. All the guys on our pastoral advisory team that are here tonight, would you just stand, you and your wife, would you stand wherever you are in the room? I want to recognize these guys, okay? All right, we've got several of them here. Let's give these guys a hand. Let me tell you what they do. You guys can be seated. We've got some guys from the South Campus that are on it, but here's what they do. These guys, not only are they faithful and committed and, and lead in our church and serve in our church, but they also give up their time. They come, they oversee our finances. They look at our spiritual growth. We have all these charts and metrics and stuff that we look at. They're, they're aware of all that goes on. We don't make a single decision without discussing it with them first and running it by them. They are there to advise. They are there to help lead. And these are godly men that just keep eyes on what's going on here at our church. We have a CPA that looks at all of our books, that, that handles all. And see, here's the point. Um, we believe that when you give, you do so in faith to God, okay? You're not giving to me, and you're not even giving to the church. But by the same token, you also want to know that when you are in faith giving, that it's going to go to a cause that they kind of watch over what's going on. You know what I'm saying? And that's what happens here, okay? And so you can be a part of that as well. And so I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to step up. I want to challenge you to be a part. I want to challenge you to be involved. What do we need? Well, we need you. We obviously have to have a staff um, to do what we... You know, you talk about the people who are in charge of keeping you accountable financially. Who's keeping you accountable theologically and doctrinally? It sounds like there's a... there's uh, Well, things have run amok there. You might need a, a, a doctrinal accountability group or team. We do. Our staff is committed. I'm so thankful for our staff. Uh, we have to have 
uh, multiple opportunities at the South Campus. We're going back to, well, not going back, we're going to two services uh, in October. We're going to go back to our video venue there. Uh, we're going to change the service times here in October as well so that they'll be a little bit closer together. Uh, even in the future, we're even discussing about adding other service options here at the McDonough campus in the future. I just want you to know that we're going to do everything in our power to make sure that people that need to hear the gospel have an opportunity to come here and hear the gospel. And what we need you to do is invite We need you to invite friends and family and lost neighbors and people that need the gospel and to be excited about your relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm not convinced they're going to hear the gospel if I were to invite my neighbors at this point because you said we have to fulfill it. And when we do that together, we're going to see God do some amazing, amazing, amazing things. Do you believe that? Why can't we focus on the the amazing things that God has already done for us in Christ? Hmm? Do, do you really believe that? I mean, it's one thing to say, yeah, I believe. You know, it's kind of like the story of the guy that stretched the tightrope across Niagara Falls and he walked across and the crowd just were amazed. How many believe that I can do it with a wheelbarrow? And everybody cheered, yeah, we believe. And he kind of went across the wheelbarrow. He said, how many believe I can do it with a person in the wheelbarrow? They all cheered, yeah, we believe. He said, who believes enough to get into the wheelbarrow? It's one thing to stand on the sidelines and say, oh, yeah, I believe. It's another thing to get in the wheelbarrow. What we're asking you to do is get in the wheelbarrow. Get in the game. Put your trust in God. Um, I'm already in the game, and I do trust God. Trust him for my salvation, my, the forgiveness of my sins, that his words regarding my justification are true. Um, what are you telling these people? That, that Which word of God are you referring to? The one that was your feeling or the objective word of God found in the scriptures that I can trust? I can't trust your feelings. I, I don't even trust my own. I wouldn't trust anybody's feelings. Sorry, but you know, feelings can come and go with feelings are kind of up and down and all over the board why would i you know get in the wheelbarrow because of a feeling believe by faith pray by faith that what we believe god has called us to do that he is what we believe god has called us to, the individual specific non-biblical outside of the bible feeling based vision okay yeah sorry i'm not getting in the wheelbarrow going to answer do you believe that do you believe no i don't believe that do you believe that do you believe that do you believe that god is able to hear and answer prayer do you believe of course i believe god can hear and answer prayer that has nothing to do with whether or not you've received a feeling-based vision from god that exempts you from what the bible commands pastors to do so that you can go it alone your own way that God has given us a mission? Do you believe? No. Believe that God has called us to follow him. I do. No, not not your feeling-based mission and vision. I think you're self-deceived. I believe it. I believe it from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. I believe it with my money. I believe it with my time. I believe it with my talent. I believe it with every part of me. What do we need? We need you to believe. So what do they need? They need you to believe that um, 
Richie there has uh, heard directly from God. That's what they need you to believe. And then you need to get busy making the feeling-based vision thing happen um, because that's what they need you to do. All right, so there you go. I don't know what else I can add to that, but I mean... I counted exactly zero passages of Scripture in that entire sermon. Zero passages of Scripture. Um, but, you know, okay, what he would disagree with me because, I mean, that vision, those feelings that he had, those are equal to the Word of God. It's not that he, he doesn't believe that God's Word is true. It's just that he doesn't believe that the written Word of God is sufficient. It's got to be uh, supplemented with this other stuff. Frightening, isn't it? All right, we're up at the uh, we're at the end of another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith. This is listener supported radio. You can uh, support us financially. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. And uh, when you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. Click on one of them and thank you for your support. So, um, what do you think? I'd love to get your feedback. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask me, my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. You know, that's the gospel. You don't have to fulfill it, it's been done for you. Amen. <laughs>